Amen. Lord, it's so true. We can't even put into words how much we owe you. The incredible debt of love. The, the price that you paid for us. Lord, I pray, help us fall more in love with you. You're worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored. And Lord, to know you is to love you. Lord, I just pray that as we go to your word, we get to know you better. We might love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 10, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. We finished up Colossians on Sunday, so we will be in 1 Thessalonians next Sunday. Again, if you're new to Calvary, we just go right through the Bible. We started in Genesis when we started the church on Wednesday nights. We started in Matthew, and we just go right through and teach the whole counsel of God. There's great things about that in that we get it in proportion to the way God gave it to us. Amen? As opposed to having pet doctrines that people like to preach over and over and over again, or things that we like to stay away from. And I have to confess to you as a pastor, it's challenging to me, because sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, I'll read a chapter and go, what in the world? I'm teaching this in two days, and how in the world am I going to share for an hour on this? And then by the time I'm done studying, I think, how in the world am I going to get all this down into 45 minutes to an hour? Because that's the Word of God, amen? All right, Judges chapter 10. If you're just getting here, you haven't been here for Judges, just a reminder of what Judges is about. It's the book of Judges is a 400 year period of time where the same cycle happens seven times in the lives of the children of Israel. Seven times total, the children of Israel are enjoying the blessings of God. They're under his divine leadership of a, of a God anointed judge or deliverer. Then the judge or deliverer dies. And as soon as he dies, left to themselves, the children of Israel run right back and start doing evil again almost immediately. They turn away from the true and living God and begin to worship the idols that are in the land. God then gives them over to what they want. By the way, God doesn't have any robots serving Him. Amen? He gives us free will because, and we choose to love Him or we choose not to. People struggle because they say, well, isn't God sovereign? Yes, He is. Is God in control? Yes, He is. And we still choose? Yes, we do. Both of those things are equally true. God is there all-knowing and yet He still gives us free will. Well, the children of Israel, when, when they rebel and begin to serve the false gods, God then allows the consequences to come for their disobedience, which is a people will come in, or a nation, or a land would come in, and then oppress them, and they'd be put into bondage. Eventually, after being in bondage, anywhere from 8 years, 10 years, 40 years in some cases, they would finally come to the end of themselves, cry out to God, and seek to be restored to the Lord. He would then send yet another judge or deliverer to get them out of the mess they were in. And now they would be walking in peace with the Lord all over again until the judge died and it would start all over. Seven times over a 400 year period of time, we see the same cycle over and over again. You may be able to relate to this cycle in your own life. Walking with God and fire for God and then you, uh, and then things go tough and you go sideways and you walk away and then you, then you realize the consequences of sin and you fall broken before the Lord and you repent and He restores you and you start walking with Him again. But you know, can I say this as believers? While we will struggle sometimes, we will blow it. We ought to be different than the person we used to be. Amen? We ought to be different than the world. So is there anything that can break down this cycle? Not only in Israel, but in my and your life. To live lives walking in victory in the center of God's will. 
Well, one of the keys to living this life of walking in victory, a life that remains not only steadfast in the Lord, but impacts others for the Lord, is we must go beyond making Him Savior to make Him Lord of our lives. Guys, it's not good enough to know about God. I know I say this all the time, but we need to hear it all the time. Amen? He can't just be the get-out-of-hell-free card. He can't just be the Savior that we call on in times of difficulty. He can't just be a tool in our toolbox that says, when things get tough, use this tool. When things are going sideways, pray. When things are really tough, pull God out of the bag. And that's, you know, that's what Israel's doing. They wait till they're in bondage. They wait till their disobedience is coming down hard on them. And then it's like, oh, what can we do? Oh, I know, God. Guys, I, play, I pray that none of us has that crisis relationship with Christ. I pray that you have intimate fellowship with Him. Israel had come to the place of only crying out to God in times of desperation. And their repentance only seemed to, be a, uh, to last as long as it took for the bondage to go away. They would repent till the bondage went away. And then all of a sudden it was back to their old lifestyle. As soon as their physical comfort was restored, their desperation dissipated. Before long, instead of impacting the world, they were once again following hard after it. Our relationship with the Lord must go far beyond, again, that crisis management. We must move from making Him just our Savior to making Him our Lord. Our God in whom we serve, follow and stand up for, regardless of the circumstances. Guys, your walk with God should not be impacted by what's going on around you. If anything, when things are tough, it ought to get, on, it ought to get better. Amen? I have an idea. We're going we're gonna to see a different Pastor Bill and Michelle when they come back. You know why? Because when tr- count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, difficulties, things like that draw us even closer to the Lord. Today, there are seemingly so few men and women of deep devotion and godly character. What is character? And we'll get to the text. Character is who we are when no one's watching. Who are you when no one's watching? Let me ask you a question. When you get alone by yourself, your family all leaves, or you're by yourself for whatever reason, what is that an opportunity for you? What opportunity does that bring about if your family's going to be out of town, or your husband's off on a business trip, or your kids are off at camp? What what is the thing that you look forward to when you're going to be alone? Does it give you an opportunity to lapse back in your old lifestyle? Or is it an opportunity for you to have one, on t- one time unhurried hanging out with God? Which is it? Is it an opportunity to watch some movies you probably wouldn't watch if your kids were in the house? Or is it an opportunity to do more for the Lord than you normally do because you got some extra time in your hands? Which is it? You know, it's been said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Our character, our destiny begins with our thoughts. What are you thinking about right now? Now, what are you thinking about? You know, what is your thought process when you get up in the morning? What's on your mind when you're driving in your car? If you're in love with the Lord, He should be someone we're thinking about all the time. What do we meditate on? What's our focus, our passion, our thought life? You know what? I know what you're thinking about because it's reflected in your actions eventually. You might be able to pretend and be a little different for a while, but the Bible says out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So at some point, your mouth's going to give you away. Amen? And your actions are going to give you away. So in a time of such great hypocrisy and lukewarmness within the church, where are the men and women of character living for him, whether anyone else is watching or not? In 2 Kings, it says this, Where is the God of Elijah? Where is he? 
And they're crying out because it's a time when no one is standing for God. Now, Elijah, I love this guy. He flat out rocks because Elijah stood up when nobody else would. Elijah was kicking down idols when everybody else was bowing to him. Elijah went into Ahab who could have had his head and said, dude, it ain't going to rain until you repent. And then he went out and he challenged all the, all the prophets of Baal. And they went out and on Mount Carmel and fire came down from the sky. And then he took a sword and put all the prophets of Baal to death. And he made a stand for God when nobody else would. And the word there is, where is the God of Elijah? He's the same place he's already, always been. The God of Elijah didn't move. It's not where is the God of Elijah, it's where are the Elijahs today? Is God, can God do the same thing with each of us that he did with Elijah? What's the answer? Yeah, absolutely. And the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one. He can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? The same place he's already always been. How many Elijahs do we have in this room? So, three points for the message tonight if you're a note taker. I titled the message, Enemies of Godly Character. Enemies of godly character. These are things that are flat out in opposition to godly character. Number one, a lack of gratitude to the Lord. A lack of thanksgiving, a lack of gratitude to the Lord. You know what else? I, you know what we can find? And don't, don't ever do it for anybody else, but you know what? Somebody who doesn't worship doesn't know my God very well. Amen? That was really weak. Is that true or not? Is he worthy to be worshipped? When you get to heaven, that's what you're going to be doing 24-7, so you might as well get started now. Amen? And you know what? He's worthy to be worshipped. And you know what? The heart of somebody who has gratitude and thanksgiving and worship to the Lord all the time is somebody who's going to have godly character. At the same time, an enemy of godly character is a lack of gratitude to the Lord, a lack of thanksgiving for what he has done. Point number two, a lack of submission to the Lord. We're pursuing our desires, our comfort, instead of faithfully obeying the Lord. So lack of gratitude, a lack of, of submission, and then thirdly, an enemy of godly character within the home, within the church, and within our country is a lack of faithful leaders. You know what? It's woeful today. How many leaders we have? We need to have a lot more. And you know what? You can find out how the house is doing by how the leader's doing. You can find out how the church is doing by who the leaders are. And you can find out how the country's doing by who we put in leadership. Amen? And if the leaders aren't godly, it's a reflection that the people aren't either. It's a reflection of us. And so we need to be praying for them, but we need those who will stand for God in the face of opposition and be, be an example for others to follow. So let's begin in Judges chapter 10 and verse 1. Enemies of godly character, the first thing is a lack of gratitude to the Lord. A lack of thanksgiving for all that he has done. Verse 1, after Abimelech, real quickly, who was Abimelech? He was the son of Gideon. Gideon was a man who started well, was being used mightily by God. Gideon started listening to what people said about him. They wanted to make him king and he said, oh no, I can't be king. There's no way. I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. God used him. If you'll remember, he started off faithless. He became faithful. He took an army of 300 to wipe out 135,000, and then God got all the glory. But then Gideon started listening to what people said, and he asked, well, I don't want to be the king, but give me an offering like you would give a king. And he was given 
tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gold. He then made an ephod and he put it in his hometown near him so people would come there to worship. In a sense, he was taking the worship away from the tabernacle and bringing it unto himself. And then thirdly, he multiplied wives for himself, which is something kings do. And then he named his son Abimelech, which means my father is king. So I don't want to be the king, but my son, my father is king. So Abimelech, listening and following his dad's example, took it to the next step. He didn't just say, I don't want to be king. He said, yeah, I want to be king, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be king including going down to the Shechemites and getting them to give me money out of the temple to the false gods and hiring a bunch of hitmen and going up and killing all of my own brothers. Sacrificed 70 of his own brothers in the same stone to wipe them all out so he could be king. But when he was anointed, there was one of his brothers, his youngest brother, a youngest of the 70 who had escaped, stood up on top of the mountain and shouted down as they were anointing him king and said, he's a worthless weed. He's a bramble bush. He talked about all the vines that produce fruit and none of them would strive for position. Only a a bramble bush or a weed would say that they can give you shelter when all it's going to do is cause you problems. And then in verse 20 he says, you know what? If If you have not obeyed the Lord, may he bring fire upon you and may you bring it upon him. And we know that last chapter, what happened? Fire came and killed all the Shechemites And the one who started the fire was Abimelech because they came out against him. And then Abimelech was starting another fire and a woman dropped a millstone on his head and it cracked like a coconut. Well, the text, I'm I'm improvising a little bit there, but it says his head, his skull was cracked. Can you imagine he's sitting there and a woman, and he says, make sure someone kills me, called someone to kill him, says, I don't want to be killed by a woman. I don't want anybody to be known that I was killed by a woman. You got your priorities all wrong when you're worried about your reputation of how you died rather than where you're going to spend eternity, amen? And as I said last week, we all know that a woman killed him because it's in the Bible, amen? People have been reading about it for 3,500 years. Sorry, pal, didn't work out for you, right? So the truth is, we need to get right with the Lord. And after Abimelech dies, Abimelech is now dead. He's been reaping havoc, wreaking havoc in Israel. And now God, out of His grace and out of His mercy, brings yet another to come along and be an encouragement. Another judge to come alongside them. And it says there, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. The son of Dodo. Thanks for shopping. The man of... If you're thinking about naming your son Pua, just remember that he's the son of Dodo. So, A man of Issachar, he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. There arose to save Israel Tola. While Abimelech attacked his own people, his own brothers, the Shechemites, the city of Tabez, his own people, God's judge who was raised up by God, did not attack his people, but instead delivered them. This is what someone anointed by God does. He doesn't attack God's people. He ministers to them. He delivers them. The judges of God were men and women used to defend and deliver Israel from its real enemies on the outside. He was in Shamir, which was a centrally located city, And he was there near the tabernacle in Shiloh. And this is the sign of a good judge. You know what a good judge? He's easy to get to. And he's near the place where God dwells. That's a good judge. Amen? And that's our God. He's near. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Verse 2. He judged Israel 23 years. And he died and was buried in Shamir. 
Not much told about this guy, Tola, except that 23 years he brought peace to the land. It's interesting that sometimes we think the more verses you have in the Bible, maybe the better guy you were. Well, there's a chapter and a half about Abimelech, and there's two verses about Tola. Amen? And sometimes minimal words is a little bit better. He died serving and defending, not attacking. The quantity of verses, again, does not equate to the quality of the man. Now, while there's not much said about Tola, I love to do word studies. Anybody else like me? And Tola, some of you know this already, or Toloth, it means worm or scarlet. Now, there's another place where you see this word, and it's very significant. Don't turn there. You can look there later. But in Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm talking about the Messiah, which is one of the clearest pictures you're ever going to see of the cross a thousand plus years before crucifixion existed. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. But what it says there, which is interesting, in verse 6, it says, I am a worm and not a man. This is the Messiah speaking. He's not saying I'm a worm. He's saying man's opinion of me is that I'm nothing. I'm of no value. That's what man thinks of me. Christ's humbling of himself. The Bible says there was no comeliness that men should desire him. Almighty God taking on humanity and all its frailties. Tola means worm or scarlet. And the reason is they would take these worms and they would crush them up. And then it would make a dye that they would dip cloth in. That then the cloth would turn scarlet. And so it was, the word meant worm or scarlet. Now what's interesting, the way that this worm reproduced is it would crawl up onto the limb of a tree. It would attach itself to the tree. When it attached itself to the tree, it would have larvae that would come out, and the larvae would then consume it. So it would literally die reproducing. Then after it died reproducing, it would leave a big red splotch on the wood. After three days, that red splotch would turn white, flake up, and drop to the ground. Tola. And it says, Jesus said, I am Tola. Now, Jesus was nailed to the wood. Amen? And his blood was set there. And he died in reproduction. He died that you and I might have eternal life. And after three days, the blood was there no more. Because instead of flaking out and dropping to the ground, he rose from the dead. And don't you love the Bible because it flat out rocks. Amen? So I love this word tola. You know, it's off the track a little bit, but man, I love it. It's in the Bible for a reason. And this guy's name was Tola. What a great name. Through your sin, though your sins were as scarlet, they can be made white as snow. Amen? Jesus, a risen and living Savior. So Tola reigned for 22 years. Verse 3. After him, 23 years, excuse me. After him, J.R., a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. So here comes another one. His name means enlightening or shining. And this little known again except that he judged for 22 years. Verse 4 says he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns which are called Havith Jr. to this day which are in the land of Gilead. You know what I love about this guy? He gave ministry away. Because he had 30 sons all riding on donkeys. Donkeys, uh, uh, animal of peace or humility. You ever think about Jesus riding in on a donkey? A donkey is not a big animal. You know, and our Lord was a mason, more than likely working with stone. 
So from a physical perspective, he was probably a pretty yoked guy. Can you imagine this big yoked guy coming in, sitting on a donkey? This animal of peace, he's riding in. Can't you see the Lord, you know, his feet are dragging down on the ground, you know, riding on the donkey. Humility, amen? And this is what the picture here is that he's got 30 sons who are with him in ministry, who are serving and carrying over 30 of the cities that he has oversight. You know, Gideon's son, Abimelech, killed his brothers in pursuit of power. But Jair's sons were serving humbly side by side in the ministry. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 3 John chapter 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. I can think of no greater heritage for a father and a mother than to have kids on fire for God. Amen? Nothing better, nothing greater, nothing more powerful. You know, my daughter's not here, so I'll embarrass her. Just recently, they had senior chapel at, at Monta Vista, and I went out there and sat in the back and videotaped my daughter getting up and just bringing the heat. I wonder where she got that. But she was sharing the gospel with a thousand of her schoolmates and just talking about how the Lord needs to be the priority of your life. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And I was in the back just weeping. Because I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. Amen? And this is the man, J.R. He's got 30 sons serving with him. In 22 years, there's peace in the land. This is a godly judge. You see the difference between Abimelech, who brought nothing but struggle and strife and trial to the people, and then you see these men, Tola and Jair, who bring 45 years of peace. So how did the people respond? It says, and Jair died and was buried in Kaman. So the 45 years they've had peace, they've had godly leaders, things are wonderful. How are they going to respond as soon as the leader is no longer there? Guess what? Here we go again. They're going to rebel against God. They're going to go the way of the world. You know, be careful when things are going well that you don't forget God. We need to be just as desperate for God when the bank account's full and the refrigerator's full and everybody's healthy as when we have nothing. And too often what happens is when we're riding high on the hog, as they say, when everything's going well, we start to get self-sufficient and we start thinking about ourselves. In Deuteronomy, don't turn there, it says this, I'm going to read verses 10 to 14. You can look at it later. But it says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The warning there was, don't forget God when things are good. It's easy to be desperate for God when things are difficult. But we need to stay desperate when things are great. Amen? You know, sometimes we'll get caught up in the toys and pleasures of the world and we'll forget about God. And we'll be drawn away to the things of this world. And sometimes we'll look at a big house on a hill and we'll say, that person's so blessed. I'm not so sure. Because sometimes what we call a blessing is the biggest stumbling block around. What did the Lord say? It'd be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. 
Why? Because we get so caught up in the pursuit of stuff. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You spend more time pricing, purchasing, and pursuing than in prayer and word and fellowship. Thanksgiving glorifies God and is a strong defense against selfishness and idolatry. Guys, we need to be constantly in a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude no matter what we have. Is our God faithful? What's the answer? No matter what, He's faithful. And as a side note, just as your pastor, something that absolutely fries me at times. I'll have people call me on the phone and say, God's not providing. Okay, so either you're wrong or the Bible's wrong. I choose you. (laughs) Amen? God provides, but God wants us to be an active part of His provision. Amen? And we need to be thanking God and using the hands He's given us and the gifts He's given us that He might be glorified. And you know what? Too often we want to sit around on the sofa doing nothing and then murmur against God who's not providing. No, you're lazy. Amen? Read Proverbs. The number one theme of Proverbs is wisdom. The number two theme is discipline. And we need to be thanking God for what He's given us. He's given us so much. Amen? So much. So enemies of godly character, number one is a lack of gratitude for the Lord. Comfortable living often produces weak character. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of brokenness and desperation. You can be wealthy and be broken. It's often harder. You've got to remind yourself, I need the Lord, this is all His, without Him I can do nothing. Number two, a lack of submission to the Lord. Pursuing fleshly desires and physical comfort over faithful obedience. Look at verse 6. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This exact phrase is repeated seven times in the book of Judges. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. The leader left, they did evil again. Soon as the spiritual leader was gone, then the children of Israel turned back to worshiping idols. Now, by the way, just as a reminder... They couldn't have worshipped idols if they'd simply obeyed God when they got there to begin with. Because what did He tell them to do? Wipe out all the idols. And all the idol worshippers. Because if you leave them there, you will become one of them. So get rid of them. You know, that's the world we live in today. That wants to water down, be politically correct, and not obey the Word of God, and think that we're somehow being inclusive. And what we're really doing is... putting ourselves into a situation where we're going to disobey God. Guys, we need to reach out to the world. We need to love them supernaturally, but we need never compromise our faith and attempt to reach man for God. That's the last thing we need to do. And so we see here they had taken time to, if they had taken time to review their own history, they would know that, that there's already been 50 years of bondage due to their disobedience, but they're going right back into it. By the way, God blesses obedience and He chastens disobedience. Did you know that's true? It's an absolute fact. And so when you obey God, He will bless you. When you disobey God, He will chasten you. And I'm not talking about obeying. It's not, you know, we're trying to earn money from God by obeying Him. But when we obey Him, God will use us. Sadly, lacking inward character, they only remain faithful when led by others. Your faith and character is revealed by how you would respond apart from the influence of others. Let me ask you a question. You know, if you're the person who has the greatest impact on you spiritually disappeared, would you keep coming to church? Would you stay in fellowship? Would you stay in the Word? 
Would you be sold out for the Lord? If that Christian person at work that's, you know, the, the one that's on fire, if that person left, would you carry that mantle forward? Wives, if your husband died in a car accident tomorrow, would you then step up and have the same rules in your house and lead your kids in the same way? Would you do that? Or would you fall away from the Lord or do less? Well, that's what's happening here. The children of Israel, the leader's gone. Well, party up. Nobody here to keep us accountable anymore. Let's just do whatever. Seven different false gods. Look what it says. And again, they serve the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Man, they just went all out. They didn't even play like they were going to sin a little bit. They just said, let's serve all the gods. Now understand why they served these gods. It wasn't because they were such beautiful statues or something. That wasn't it at all. You know why they served these gods? Because with the worship of these gods was physical pleasure. Some of these gods had temple prostitutes. Hey, let's go down and worship, worship Astaroth. Oh, I'm down for that. And they run down there. Now they weren't going down there to see Astaroth. They were going down there because there was temple prostitutes. Some of the false gods were all about bringing you wealth others about bringing you power so they were worshiping these gods not because of the gods themselves but because of the pleasure it would bring them these gods of sex and love and romance and fertility and wealth and power and even the god of weather that would bring them a fruitful harvest gods who worship practices included again temple prostitutes you know what else they included human sacrifice One of the gods was Molech. Molech was the god of sex. And you know what they did? Because they were so free and loose having sex with everybody, that what happened was a lot of pregnancies. So then what they would do is then take the babies from the pregnancies and they would take them and put them on on the hot arms of Molech and burn them to death as sacrifices unto Molech. And we think how tragic that is. But you know what? We do the same thing today and we call it abortion. Some of the abortions even burn the babies alive. Nothing new under the sun. I also want to say this, and I want to be careful. If you're a woman in here and you've had an abortion, God, and you've asked God to forgive you, He has forgiven you. And that baby's in heaven, and you will see that baby one day. Amen? So be, be encouraged, be blessed, be strengthened. Our God is a faithful and a loving God. But Israel chose to walk away from the true and living God, to follow the false gods of the world around them, to go, up, to go with the flow rather than stand with the Lord. And churches today are saying, we need to go with the flow more so we can be more relevant. No, we don't. You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? You can just, just float with everybody else. And you know what? I don't see the apostles going with the flow. I don't see Jesus going with the flow. I see that there's a time to step up when people are flowing off a cliff that's going to lead them to death and eternal separation from God instead of flowing with them to make a stand for the truth. Because we love them, amen? And they turned away from the true and living God even though they knew the truth. How did the Lord respond to their rebellion? Look at verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. The Lord's anger hot against you, not good. You don't want that. Amen? The anger of the Lord was hot against them. God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. And 
His anger burned like fire. He was exceedingly incensed against them. Nothing more provoking to him than idolatry. One of the first two commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt serve no graven image. What is idolatry? It breaks commandment number one and commandment number two. They're number one and number two. They're at the top of the list for a reason. Amen? And it says the anger of the Lord. So I didn't know that God would get angry at his people. He does when they look at him and they choose to rebel and they don't care what he says. Guys, doesn't it break your heart when your kids do something that you have warned them will do nothing but bring them great harm? And they do it anyway and they laugh and mock you and shake their fists at you while they do? Well, here comes a swatting with that, right? And here's the thing. Who, those the Lord loves, he disciplines. And the swat's coming. You know what, though? If he's not swatting you, he doesn't care about you. So look what happens. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. Now the Ammonites were the descendants of Lot through incest that he had with his daughters. And here's the lesson. You become the slaves of the one you serve. Whoever you serve, you're that person's, that thing's slave. If it's your career, you're a slave to your career. If it's the pursuit of wealth, you're a slave to that. I used to have golden handcuffs, I used to call it when I had a huge mortgage, and I was a slave to that. Got to just bust it, because I got to pay the mortgage. And you know what, I'm not saying that having a mortgage, you know, I have a smaller one now, but the point is that we can make that our God if we're not careful. And we're all serving somebody. As Bob Dylan once said, when he pretended to be a Christian for a minute and a half. <laughs> got to serve somebody, right? Now, it says in Romans, Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves servants to, his servants you are, whether to sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Guys, the one that we follow, the one that we serve, we are that one's servant. Look what it says. From that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel. Guess what? Consequences of sin are no fun. Now the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. Is that true or not? Of course it is, or you wouldn't keep doing it, right? It's real fun on Friday night, maybe, for some of you, when you're intaking poison. That's what alcohol is, if you didn't know that. You're taking a little poison. You can have some arsenic, maybe. Why don't you add some of that to the alcohol? And you know what? You take in poison, and it can be maybe fun for a season, and then, you know, I've never seen a beer commercial showing the guy barf in the next morning. I haven't seen it. You know, in his room going, everybody be quiet, you know what I mean? I'm shaking some poison over here, right? Sin's consequences are no fun. You commit adultery, it's no fun to lose your family. You go out and you have these types of sinful behaviors, it's no fun when the consequences come. Here's the consequences from turning away from God. They were harassed and oppressed. The world was getting after them. And why? Because they chose to disobey God. The false gods of this world promise happiness, pleasure, and fulfillment, and what they give you is heartache, emptiness, and severe consequences. Amen? The world almost always promises you. That's what the devil does. Oh, this will be great. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be really great when your kids don't talk to you anymore because you cheated on their mom. It's going to be so wonderful when you're in divorce court and she's taking half of your stuff. It's going to be wonderful. Now what happens is the enemy you know, entices you. The Bible says that the lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey, but the path to her house leads to hell. That's pretty direct. 
I used to call women like that honey drippers. It's a biblical term. All the people on both sides of the Jordan. Look what it says. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. How's that working out for you, serving those false gods? 18 years of oppression. Look what it says. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead, moreover, the people of Ammon, crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. You know, the enemy doesn't come and say, come and follow me, you'll be harassed, oppressed, and distressed. It's going to be great. It's not what he tells you. Satan is a liar, and he will call you away. And you know what? You're going to get bit if you follow him. If you remember that the children of Israel were on both sides of the Jordan, remember that two and a half tribes settled on the eastern side? And that's just a saying, they all got it. Why? Because they all disobeyed. They did not follow the true and living God. Now look what happens. So what do you think Israel's going to do? Been oppressed by 18 years. What's the pattern? What's the next thing they're going to do? They're going to cry out. Look at verse 10. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Baals. Now, what's interesting is they start off with confession, which is a good thing. But God knows if you're sincere when you're confessing or not. God knows if you're getting the tool out of the toolbox to try to get out of the consequences. You're going to court tomorrow. You might face 25 years to life in prison. You are a prayer warrior all of a sudden. Oh, Lord, please! Mercy! Right? It's amazing how we cry out for mercy when we're in trouble. And this is what's happening. But God knows. Do you think God's so stupid to know? you think God's dumb? you think God doesn't know when you're playing Him? God knows if you're sincere, and He reads right through these guys. And He knows that they need to learn a little more before there can be forgiveness. Israel's words sound good, but it's not our words alone that reveal our repentance. It's a broken and contrite heart fully submitted to God. Confession is a start. They said we've forsaken our God. By the way, you need to understand, I need to understand that every time I sin, I'm sinning against God. Don't just think, well, I took something and I hurt that person. Remember, you've got to put God in that equation too. Someone once said that they wondered if the 9-11 guys would fly into the building if they had to sit in a room and meet all the people for a few hours before they did it. I don't they may have still done it, but I think there would have been a different mentality. When you know the person you're harming, it changes the way you react. And the same is true when you know it's God that you're harming. It's not a little white lie, it's separation from Almighty God. It's not just a little thing, it's something that our Savior would have to take to the cross and took to the cross for us. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, also the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Maonites, oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from, your, from their hand. The Lord had delivered them from seven different nations already. And I find it interesting that there's a list of seven different nations of God that they went to, gods they went to serve earlier in the text. God had delivered them from seven nations. They went out and served seven different nations of gods. Amazing how that works. In miraculous ways, they had witnessed the great and awesome grace and power of God. And then look what it says. Yet you have forsaken me. I've delivered you seven times and you forsook me anyway. I've done the supernatural and you walked away anyway. 
Now look what the Lord says, and these are words that I would never, ever, ever want to hear. Look what he says. You have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. Oh. You know, it's one thing for us, for God's people to walk away from him. It's another thing for God to walk away from his people. That's an ouch. I'm done with you guys. That's what he's telling them. Okay, seven times to deliver you. Seven's the number of completeness. I'm done. No more for you. I'm done with you guys. I've had it. We must never take God's grace for granted, nor think we can manipulate God with our empty words in order to get out of our sin's consequences. God's not a holy Santa Claus up in the sky. He's not a heavenly escape hatch to get you out of trouble. But he ought to be the master passion and love of your life, your Lord, your Savior, your God, and your King, who every single time you get an inch away from him, you're broken before him. Not waiting until you're 50 miles away and asking for a cab ride home, right? Instead, just be, when you just turn, oh, Lord, forgive me. That ought to be at the heart of every one of us, amen? Now, look what it says. This is harsh. Go and cry out to your gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in their time of distress. Ouch. Okay, guys, you want to serve Baal? Go ask Baal to help you. Get him to help you out. Go ask Astaroth. Go ask Molech, the wood, you know, the, uh, the metal god down. Go get one of those dead blocks of wood to help you out. See how that works out for you. You know, that'd be like the Lord coming to us today and saying, oh yeah? Well, go let your career get you out of this one. Let your ski boat deliver you from this problem. Let your bank account be your deliverance. Let your porn collection deliver you out of this problem. Whatever these gods are that you're serving, go, go find your peace and your deliverance in them. And then you'll find out they're not such good gods after all, are they? Not so much. I can't think of a greater judgment than when God says, I'm done with you. Wow. It says in Romans, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. For this, this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections. Because they hardened their heart toward God, he gave them up to their vile affections. And you know what's in that list? First thing, homosexuality. Now, does the Lord love the homosexuals? What's the answer? Should we love them? You better believe it. Are they welcome here? Absolutely. Is their sin okay? Absolutely not. And neither is fornication, neither is adultery, and neither is lying. It's not. But you know what? There's a hardening of heart. And what's happening today, the Episcopal churches came out this week and said they can no longer confirm or vote that Jesus is the only way. And then the new bishop just came out and said that, well, God made them homosexuals and are just to love each other that way. You know what happens? When you don't read the Bible, you'll believe anything. And that's why we're going to keep teaching the Word. If you ever show up here and we don't teach the Bible, kick me. <laughs> Full permission. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. And you know what? We don't want to call out to anybody else but the true and living God. God is confronting them with the seriousness of their sin. He's saying, you know what? What I've seen from you so far is not true repentance. You're still hanging on to your old gods. You want to hang on to them? Go seek forgiveness from them. Go seek restoration from them. 
Go pray to your bank account when your kids have cancer. Go pursue that thing that you have elevated instead of pursuing me. God forbid that we would make that mistake. True repentance is turning to the true and living God. Now look at the people's response this time. Now watch, I believe this is sincere now. Look what happens. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Number one thing to, to repentance is confession. Must happen first. And notice they're not making excuses. We have sinned because my mom didn't breastfeed me long enough. We have sinned because my boss is really a jerk. We have sinned because, and we're victims. Everybody's a victim today. No, nothing's anybody's fault anymore. Let me make it real clear to you. You're a sinner in need of a Savior, and so am I. Amen? And it's your fault. And it's my fault. Amen? And when you quit blaming everybody else. And God knows it's our fault. That's why He came. He came and died on the cross because it's our fault. Because we did it. And praise God, here we see true confession finally coming. Not, it's not my parents' fault. It's not my circumstances' fault. We have sinned. Not we have sinned because we have sinned. Exclamation point. We've sinned. Praise God. Then he says, do to us whatever seems best to you. Now, not only do we see confession, but now we see submission. Lord, whatever you think is right, I'm for that. Lord, my life belongs in your hands. I want to be changed. I want to be chastened. I want to be disciplined. I fully and completely submit every aspect of my life to you. Do as you see fit, Lord. That's a great prayer. Hard one to pray sometimes. Great prayer. Lord, my life's in your hands. Deal with me as you see fit. Only deliver us this day, we pray. Here's the heart to be delivered, to be restored. And again, notice, confession, submission, not done. Look at verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord. You know what we have here? Repentance. Because this is an action that follows. It's one thing to tell God you've sinned. It's another thing to say, Lord, I submit my life to you. And it's another thing to do something about it. Repent means I'm going this way, and now I'm going this way. It means to turn. It doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry, God, and just keep going the way you were going. And what we see very clearly in this text is that an action followed their repentance. That's the sign of somebody who's truly repented. It says they put away the foreign gods. That word put away could also be destroyed, which I actually like better. So you know what that means? It doesn't mean that they put their foreign gods in a drawer. You know, sometimes we do that. We got some stuff we know we shouldn't have. Maybe the pastor's coming over for lunch. So we hide all the alcohol, the R-rated DVDs, and, you know, we pastor-proof the house. <laughs> and we put it in a drawer because we might want it back later. Or we know there's things we're struggling with, and so, you know, we know there's things on our computer we shouldn't have there, but, you know, so we put a, blo- a lock on it, but we've got the code to get to the lock if we... Don't do that. Don't put it in a drawer. Don't put a code on it. Get rid of it. Put it in the dumpster. Take the CDs and snap them all in half and throw them away. And what's happening here is they didn't hide it or set it aside. They destroyed it. This is Repentance. This is repentance saying, Lord, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm getting rid of it. 
And you know what? I'm going to destroy it so I can serve you. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord. You got to serve somebody. They got to get rid of the idols before they can serve the Lord. You see that there? They destroyed the idols, serve the Lord. Got the stuff out of the house, serve the Lord. Put away the, the, the things that are taking my eyes off of God and making me compromise my faith and then serve the Lord. This is not legalism, guys. This is just deciding God's first in my life. I want to walk with Him. I want to serve Him. I want to make Him the most important thing in the world to me, turning from sin and to the Lord. And it says, And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Don't you love our God? Don't you love Him? He said, Guys, I'm done with you. And then they said, Lord, but really we've sinned. They meant it this time. Really we've sinned. And you know what? We're going to get rid of the idols. And Lord, you can do whatever you want to us, and we're going to serve you anyway. And the Lord says, oh, my child, come on home. I I love you. The mercy of God. True repentance always results in God's grace and mercy every time. That's a great God we serve. Lastly, enemies of godly character, a lack of gratitude to the Lord. Second of all, lack of submission, pursuing fleshly desires and physical comfort. And lastly, a lack of faithful leaders. Look at these last two verses. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped at Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. All the other times when God delivered him, he brought a judge and a deliverer. This time, there wasn't anybody. 18 years, everybody caught up in adultery. Everybody caught up in, you know, idolatry, I should say. Everybody caught up in all these cares of the world. And there was nobody there to serve. Nobody there to lead. How tragic a statement is that? Not one person who could stand for God in the face of the opposition. Not one person who could be an example for others. The people were prepared to act, but from all the tribes of Israel, there was nobody to take the lead. And as I said before, the absence of godly leaders is evidence of a low spiritual level among the people. When the Spirit is at work among believers, He's going to call, raise up, and equip servants to lead His people. You know what? When there's a lack of spiritual maturity, let me just tell you right now, again, I don't mean to pick on them, but I'm going to. You know, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian, you know what? How in the world do you have people leading you who don't believe that Jesus Christ is God? How is that possible? You know how that's possible? When you have a church filled with people that are not stepping up. When you have a spiritually immature group of people, they'll accept any lie at the top. Guys, I want you to hold me accountable because the Word of God, Jesus Christ is the head of this church and no man. Amen? And you know, it just breaks my heart when I see these people and I see pictures of them and I pray for them. I think, Lord, they voted for this is the best they have. Of all the people, we vote for you. And what do you think? I think, well, I don't, you know, I don't really believe that the Bible's accurate. And they're just stories. And, you know, and, you know the, the Word of God. Ah! <laughs> Makes me angry. You know why? The living, breathing Word of God is being put down as a fairy tale. Boy, that just grieves the heart of God. And, man, it boils my blood. I just want to, Lord, pray for them. Amen? 
But you know what? We look at the people within those organizations, and we need to pray for them too. But you know what? If you're in an organization where the people at the top are rejecting the Word of God, you need to go somewhere else. Leave. You vote with your feet. Amen? Move. Go. I've got a, bro- a really neat brother in the Lord. I love this guy, and he's hanging out in a church that is so apostate. And he goes, I'm here to turn it around. And I go, bro, you've been there eight years. How's it going so far? Not so good. Go find a church where God's word's being taught. Find a church where there, people are being equipped and leaders are being raised up, and God is doing it. You know, I get hit by a car tomorrow, and there's seven or eight guys that can be the pastor of this church. You don't need a search committee, period. Don't need one. That's the way it ought to be, Amen. When churches take 10 years to find a pastor, are you telling me there's nobody in the church? That tells me those people aren't being equipped. Amen? You know what? Here's the truth. I, go to, I, go, I talk to people. Most, 95% of you know more about the Bible than half the pastors I know. You know why? Because we study it. Amen? We're reading the book. We're not waiting for the movie. We're in it every, every time we meet. And my prayer would be, you're so in love with it, you, can't, you, get home, you go home and you read more. Amen? I hope you read 1 Thessalonians before Sunday. Make sure I'm not whack when I get up here and teach on Sunday. Amen? Hold me accountable. So this lack of character and leadership reflects upon the people, the church, the nation, the family. Not a leader found among them. Where is the God of Elijah? The better question is, where are the Elijahs today? Where are they? I spoke at a church, I'll close with this, I spoke at a church not that long ago. They'd been looking for a pastor, they asked me to come speak. And it was that same brother I was just telling you about, in a church that was so far away from the Word. And so I taught Acts chapter 4. They marveled, they were untrained men, but they'd been with Jesus. I said, you guys need to quit looking for a trained man, look for a called man. You need to quit looking for an educated man and look for a man who's walking with the Lord. And they didn't really want me there, and he had to twist arms to get me there, and then they offered me the job when I got done teaching. But I told them, not so much. We wouldn't get along too well. Because I, I would be teaching the Bible up in here. And the bishop would come along and tell me, you don't teach the Bible. I'd say, that won't work. But we need, you know what? We need Elijah's today. And we need to pray for these churches where the word of God's not being taught, that God would raise up some folks to do it. Amen? I, you know, I praise God. Pray for my, a buddy of mine, Keith, over in San Jose. He just went up and took a church in Milpitas that was not a Calvary Chapel, and a church that was not teaching the Word, that was dying on the vine. He's been there three months, and the church has gone from 40 people to 300 just teaching the Bible, and people are getting saved every week. Praise the God, amen? And you know what? Because God is faithful to those who will teach the Word without compromise. Because Keith's an Elijah. We need men and women of godly character, men of faith, men and women of faith, men, men, men and women who have gratitude for God, men and women who are submitted to the Lord, whether men are watching us or not. Amen? May we be people that God can use. So in closing, enemies of godly character, a lack of gratitude, a lack of thanksgiving for what God has done. Number two, a lack of submission to the Lord, pursuing things of the flesh rather than walking in obedience. And then thirdly, a lack of faithful leaders, those who will stand for God in the face of opposition and be an example for others to follow. Dads, let that start with you in your house, amen? May there not be a lack of leaders at your house. May you step up, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And I just thank you for just this example of your continued mercy and grace. Lord, they turn completely away. They rebel against you. 
And Lord, when they truly repent, you look into their hearts and you forgive them. What a great God you are. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that feels like they're in that same place, that they would know, Lord, with a true heart of repentance, there is restoration. Lord, may we destroy and put away the idols that are in our lives. Lord, may we not put them in a drawer, but take them out to the dumpster. Remove those things from our life, Lord, that take our eyes off of you. Lord, we don't want to serve a false God, but the risen and living Savior. Lord, may you be more than Savior, but Lord, in the life of everybody here. And Lord, I do lift up the other churches in town. Father, my prayer is that I would never come across self-righteous in any way. I'm a sinner saved by grace, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Lord, but at the same time, my heart breaks for so many people going to church and not hearing the word. So many people going and being taught politically correct things instead of the truth of the word of God. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to reach out to those people. I pray, Lord, for an opportunity to, in love, reach out to those pastors and encourage them to teach your word. Lord, we love you. We want to see revival in Santa Cruz. May it start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship.